As an old Stoic proverb has it, men are tormented by the opinions they have of things rather than by the things themselves. 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker. Today we look at The Mind in the Making by James Harvey Robinson. So how about you slow down and relax. Reduce all that noise for just a bit. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at a book written to awaken everyone to a real understanding of why he or she thinks and acts as he or she does. How our intelligence has evolved into the mental habits of modern life. We are confronted with the fact that our thinking remains medieval in a world that has become complex and modern. It will show you whether your thinking is ahead of times or behind them. So stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. When we contemplate the shocking derangement of human affairs, which now prevails in most civilized countries, even the best minds are actually puzzled and uncertain in their attempts to grasp this situation. Plans for social betterment and the cure of public ills have in the past taken three general forms. Number one, change in the rules of the game. Number two, spiritual exhortation. And number three, education. Had all these not largely failed the world would not be in the plight in which it now confessedly is. The several hopes of reform assume that the now generally accepted notions of righteous human conduct are not to be questioned. Our churches, our universities defend this assumptions. Our editors and our lawyers and the more vocal of our businessmen adhere to it. Even those who pretend to study society and its origin seem often to believe that our present ideals and standards 
of property, estate, industrial organization, the relations of the sexes, and education are practically final and must necessarily be the basis of any possible betterment in detail. But if this be so, then intelligence has already done its perfect work, and we can only lament that the outcome in the way of peace, decency, fairness, judged even by existing standards, has been so disappointing. There are, of course, a few here and there who suspect and even repudiate current ideals and standards. We allow our ideas to take their own course, and this course is determined by our hopes and our fears, our spontaneous desires, their fulfillment or frustration, by our likes, dislikes, loves and hates and resentments. There's nothing else. Anything like so interesting to ourselves as ourselves. All thought that is not more or less laborlessly controlled and directed will inevitably circle about to the beloved ego. It is amusing and pathetic to observe this tendency in ourselves and in others. We learn politely and generously to overlook this truth, but if we dare to think of it, it blazes forth like the noontide sun. We sometimes find ourselves changing our minds without any resistance or any heavy emotion, but if we are told that we are wrong, we resent the imputation and harden our hearts. We are incredibly heedless in the formation of our beliefs, but we find ourselves filled with illicit passion for them when anyone proposes to rob us of their companionship. It is obvious, not the ideas themselves that are dear to us, but our self-esteem which is threatened. We are by nature stubbornly pledged to defend our own from attack, whether it be our person, our family, our property, or our opinions. Now, few of us do take the pains to study the origin of our cherished convictions. Indeed, we have a natural repugnance to so doing. We like to continue to believe what we have been accustomed to accept as true. And the resentment aroused when doubt is cast upon any of our assumptions lead us to seek every manner of excuse, to seek to clinging to them. The result is that most of our so-called reasoning consists actually in finding arguments for going on believing as we already do. 
Rationalizing is the self-exaltation which occurs when we feel ourselves or our group accused of misapprehension. Naturally, those who reassure us seem worthy of honor and respect equally. Naturally, those who puzzle us with disturbing criticism and invite us to change our ways are objects of suspicion and are readily discredited. We very rarely consider, however, the process by which we gained our convictions. If we did so, we could hardly fail to see that there was usually little ground for our confidence in them. The sources of our food supply, the origin of the Constitution, the revision of taxation, the policy of the Holy Roman Apostolic Church, modern business organization, trade unions, birth control, socialism, the League of Nations, military preparedness, advertising in its social bearings, but only a very exceptional person would be entitled to opinions on all of even these few matters, and yet most of us have opinions on all of this, whether these questions were even of equal importance, of which we may know even less. It is clear in any case that our convictions on important matters are actually not the result of knowledge or critical thought, nor, it may be added, are they often dictated by supposed self-interest. Most of them are pure prejudices. In the proper sense of the word, we do not form them ourselves. They are the still, small voice of the herd. There are four historical layers underlying the minds of civilized men. The animal mind, the child mind, the savage mind, and the traditional civilized mind. We are all animals and never can cease to be. <coughs> we are all children at our most impressionable age and can never get over the effects of that. Our human ancestors have lived in savagery during practically the whole of their existence and of the race, say 500,000 or a million years. And the primitive human mind is ever with us. Finally, we are all born into an elaborate civilization, constant pressure of which we can by no means escape. The human mind has then been built up through hundreds of thousands of years by gradual assertions and laborious accumulations. Ben started at a cultural zero and had to find out everything for himself, or rather a very small number of peculiarly restless and adventurous spirits who did the work. The great mass of humanity has never 
had anything to do with the increase of intelligence, except to act as its medium of transfusion and perpetuation. Creative intelligence is confined to the very few, but the many can thoughtlessly avail themselves of the more obvious achievements of those who are exceptionally highly endowed. Even an ape will fit himself into a civilized environment. A chimpanzee can be thought to relish bicycles, roller skates, and cigarettes, which he could never have devised, cannot understand, and could not reproduce even so with mankind. Most of us could not have devised, do not understand, and consequently could not reproduce any of the everyday conveniences and luxuries which do surround us. A person who justifies himself by saying that he holds certain beliefs or acts in a certain manner on principle and yet refuses to examine the basis and expediency of his principle, introduces into his thinking a conduct, an irrational, mystical element, similar to that which characterizes savage prohibitions. Principles unintelligently urged make a great deal of trouble in the free consideration of social readjustment, for they are frequently as recalcitrant and obscurinist as the primitive taboo, and are rarely, scarcely more than an excuse for refusing to reconsider one's convictions and one's conduct. Now, the psychological conditioning lying behind both the taboo and this sort of a principle are essentially the same. We all have a natural tendency to rely upon established beliefs and fixed institutions. This is an expression of our spontaneous confidence in everything that comes to us in an un questioned form. As children, we are subject to authority, and we cannot escape the control of existing opinion. Unconsciously, we absorb our ideas and views from the group in which we happen to live. What we see about us, what we are told, and what we read must be received at its face value, so long as there are no conflicts to arouse skepticism. We are tremendously suggestible. Our mechanism is much better adapted to credulity than to questioning. All of us believe nearly all the time. Few of us doubt, and only now and then. 
much will depend on whether our purpose is to keep things as they are or to bring about readjustments designed to correct abuses and injustices in the present order. Now, do we believe, in other words, that truth is finally established and that we have only to defend it or that it is still in the making? Do we believe in what is commonly called progress or do we think of that as belonging only to the past? Have we on the whole arrived or are we only on the way? or mayhap just starting. We no longer make things for the sake of making them, but for money. The chair is not made to sit on, but for profit. The soap is no longer prepared for purposes of cleanliness, but to be sold for profit. Practically nothing catches our eye in the way of writing that was written for its own sake and not for money. Our magazines and newspapers are our modern commercial travelers proclaiming the gospel of business competition. Until recently, the mass of the people have not even been invited to turn their attention to public affairs, which have been left in the control of the richer classes and their representatives and agents, the statesmen or politicians. Doubtless our crowded cities have contributed to a growing sense of the importance of the common man, for all must now share the public conveyance, the water supply, and contagious diseases. But there is still more fundamental discovery underlying our democratic tendencies. This is the easily demonstrated scientific truth that nearly all men and women, over their social and economic status, whatever it might be, may have much reigning possibilities of activity and thought and emotion than they do exhibit in the particular conditions in which they happen to be placed, that in all ranks may be found evidence of unrealized capacity, that we are living on a far lower scale of intelligent conduct and rational enjoyment than is necessary. If we are courageously to meet and successfully overcome the dangers with which our civilization is threatened, it is obvious that we need more mind than ever before, and there is no reason why we should not go on building up mind and elaborating intelligence without expecting any inherent improvement in our original outfit. That seems quite sufficient as it is. There is no need, certainly little hope, of changing human nature. No previous generation has been so perplexed as ours.
but none has ever been justified in holding higher hopes if it could be reconciled itself to making bold and judicious use of its growing resources, material and intellectual. It is fear that holds us back, and fear is begotten of ignorance and of uncertainty, and these mutually reinforce one another, for we feebly try to condone our ignorance by our uncertainty, and to excuse our uncertainty by our ignorance. Never before have we had to rely so completely on ourselves. No guardian to think for us. No precedent to follow without question. No lawmaker above. Only ordinary men set to deal with heartbreaking perplexity. All weakness comes to the surface. We are homeless in a jungle of machines and untamed powers that actually haunt and lure the imagination. And there you have it, the mind in the making. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. That helps the algorithm. Share it too. Spread the word. Do leave a comment. Share your thoughts. Talk to me. Talk to each other. Subscribe to my channel. Stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So you buy it and you read and you never stop learning. Especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website. Find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, then check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.